This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Let me just mention just what I kind of start tonight. I'm just so you can maybe know a little bit about me. I'm married. I've been married for 40 years to the same woman. Uh, yet, yes, I know I look too young to have been married for 40 years. But Mary and I got married when we were 10 years old, so that kind of explains that. Not, not really. We were, we're not too much further than that. We were 18 years old. We have six children, uh, and then we have five grandchildren. And um, I have found out that, that what I heard one time was actually true, that grandchildren are God's rewards for not killing your kids. So as they were growing up, there were times that we would be frustrated. But God has redeemed all things, and all of our children serve God and walk in, most of them in in ministry. Well, all of them except for one, and he's in the business world, very, very successful in that realm, uh, ministering in that capacity. And so it's a great, again, it's a great honor to be here. You know, I want to just mention, as I was saying, I kept thinking about Martin Luther. And I believe it was him that said this. He said, if I miss one day of prayer... He said, I know it. He said, if I miss two days of prayer, the church knows it. He said, but if I miss three days of prayer, my nation knows it. So in other words, we, don't, we underestimate the effect and the power that we can have when we come before the Lord and begin to pray. And I've been praying, I've been a prayer warrior, maybe put it that way, uh, since 1980. When I surrendered to the ministry at ni- in 1980, it was like the Lord said to me, The first thing I want to teach you how to do is teach you how to pray. Now, I was not around anybody that knew how to pray at that time. Not the way I knew I was being called to pray. And so I began my journey that I've been on literally since 1980. I remember uh, many years after that when I was leading an apostolic center that my wife and I had given birth to uh, in Texas... Uh, that we had a prophet that was from Kenya, Africa. And he came and he spoke because I was traveling in Africa some at that time. And he came and he spoke um, at a Wednesday night service. And so the next morning, as was our habit, I had my whole staff uh, and, and those that wanted to join us. And we prayed for an hour and a half to two hours every morning. Because I said, we're not doing anything until we pray. And so every every uh, a day of the week, we would gather for those hour and a half to two hour prayer times and so he came to that prayer time the next morning after our Wednesday night service and I remember he was standing across the room from us and from me and when we said amen it was like he made a beeline straight across the room and he was a really short little guy and he came and he put his finger in my face and he said you pray like an African And I thought, that's probably the best compliment I ever received. I wasn't trying to impress anybody. I was just praying the way I had learned to pray for all those decades that I had been doing it at that time. And so when he said, you pray like an African, I knew that I must be doing something right. And so I counted a privilege to be here uh, in, in Zimbabwe and be able to impart these truths. Now, before I, before I kind of go into the teaching and what I want to share uh, for tonight to get us going in the right direction that I want to bring us in my sessions over the next few days, I want to just share with you that, that when I would begin to pray back in the early days, and even not too, up until not too long ago, when I would begin to pray, I would say this, as I was praying, the presence of the Lord came. 
Anybody ever said something like that? Boy, I was praying and or worshiping and God just showed up. And we use that terminology. And I'm not saying that's incorrect, but I would say this. It is really not consistent with New Testament understanding. You see, it wasn't so much. Now, you got to get this. It wasn't so much that God showed up as it was that I stepped into a spiritual dimension where God is. You see, it's a different way of thinking. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's very important. Because I'm going to teach you on the courts of heaven tonight. But you need to understand something. The court of heaven is not a method of praying. It's a spiritual dimension. If you think it's a method of praying, you're going to turn it into a formula. And you're not going to get the results you want. Okay, it's not a, it's not a method. It's not a formula. In fact, I know that most formulas, if all formulas, none of them really work because they're absence of the life of God. They're absence of a real vital relationship. So I'm not talking to you about a formula. I'm talking to you about how to step into a spiritual dimension called the court of heaven and in that dimension make your requests known that allows God the legal right to answer your prayers and to fulfill his passion. And to actually see breakthrough come in your life and even the life of a nation. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to deal with that tonight in, in, in the sessions that are to come. So, again, let me just say this. When I pray now, I don't think of it in the term of God came and the presence of God was there. Here's what I say. I realize now I stepped into a spiritual realm, a spiritual dimension. Let me explain it to you this way. In John chapter 3, verse 13, which is where Jesus is having a discourse with Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus, and, and, and Jesus is telling him about the necessity of being born again. Remember that? And we, we think he's telling Nicodemus how to get to heaven after he dies. Okay, but if you read John, John chapter 3, verse 13, here's what it says. Jesus said to Nicodemus, he who, as, he, who ascended in our, he who ascended in heaven is the same one who descended from heaven, who is even the Son of Man that is in heaven. Okay, now it sounds like a bunch of double talk, but watch. He that ascended into heaven is the one who also descended from heaven, who is the Son of Man that is in heaven. Watch what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Nicodemus, I'm in two dimensions at one time. Not only am I living in this natural realm, I am also simultaneous, even though you can't see it, I am living and functioning in a spiritual realm. So watch, what was Jesus teaching Nicodemus? He was teaching him how to be born again, not so he could go to heaven when he dies, but so he could step into a heavenly, heavenly realm now when he is yet alive. Because he wants us to learn how to live in two dimensions at one time. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, I'm seated together with him in heavenly places. Ephesians 2.6 so he said, what did he mean? Was he making a theological statement? No, he was describing a spiritual experience. I don't have a lot of, of, of weight to put on theological statements that I can't experience. So when he said, I am seated together with him in heavenly places, he wasn't stating just something theologically. He was describing a spiritual experience. He was saying the same thing. I am able to live in two dimensions at one time. 
See, this is very important. That's what, listen, when Jesus said in John 5, verses 19 through 20, he said when there was question about, question him about how he did miracles, here's what he said. I only do what I see the Father do. So what's Jesus saying? I am living in a, in a, in a natural realm, but I'm also seeing into a spiritual dimension where I'm seeing what the Father's doing and whatever I see the Father do, that's what I do in the earth and all of a sudden heaven enters earth and miracles occur because that's the key to the miraculous. The key to miraculous is living in two dimensions at one time. Now, lest you think you've got to be this super spiritual person to do that, I want to debunk that idea right now. You see, you say, oh, I need to be a prophet then, or I need to be uh, this super spiritual individual. No, no, listen, Hebrews 5, verse 14, strong meat belongs to those who what? By reason of use, everybody look at your neighbor and say, reason of use, come on, say, I got to use it. Strong meat belongs to those who by reason of use have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. So here's what he's saying. He's not talking about our natural senses. He's talking about our prophetic spiritual senses that we develop them by using them. So the reason sometimes we're not as spiritually in tune or sensitive is because we simply haven't used them. See, go, go back to John 5, verse 19. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. And then he says, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he does, and he will show you greater things than these so that you may marvel. See, watch what Jesus said. He said, my ability to see, watch, and to function in this unseen realm, get this, doesn't come from a gift. It comes from intimacy with the Father. Quit looking for a gift. You don't have to have a gift. What you have to do is develop intimacy with the Father. He said, for the Father loves the Son. I think that's interesting. Jesus didn't say the Father shows me these things because I love him. He said the Father shows me these things. Watch this. Because the Father loves the Son. So watch this. What does that mean? What does the love of the Father do? It heals all the places we feel condemned. All the places we feel shamed. All the places we feel defiled. All that sense of unworthiness we carry. You see, those things shut us down so that we can't step into those spiritual dimensions. So God says, look, the Father loves the Son. I am coming to love you into wholeness. I am coming to love you into spiritual sensitivity. I am coming to love you into a a washing away of condemnation and guilt. And once that is removed, you will be amazed at how easy it is to see and sense into the spirit realm. Amen? See, why am I spending all time on this? Because, listen, you're not going to understand the courts if you don't understand how to step into, a, into it as a spiritual dimension and not just try to use it as some formula. Now let me just give you one more thought about that before I move on. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Elijah comes to Ahab, remember? And he says, he says as the Lord God lives, watch, before whom I stand... Not before whom I stood. See, I used to read this and think, Elijah had been in prayer somewhere. God had spoken to him. He had got up and went to Ahab. And 
said what God had said to him when he was somewhere praying, but that's not what he says. He says, as the Lord God lives before whom I stand, presently Ahab, while I am standing here before you in the natural, I am simultaneously standing before the Lord in the spirit. And so from this dimension I am standing in in the spirit, I am declaring into the natural, it will not rain until I tell it to And guess what? It didn't rain until he told it to. Why? Because he knew how to live in two dimensions at one time. See, this is what being born again does. It unlocks for us. It quickens us. It empowers us with the ability to not be restricted to just the natural realm. But to live and function in an unseen realm. You get this that can actually change the natural realm. How many of you want to know how to do that? See, everybody ought to want to know how to do this. Now watch, this doesn't just apply to prayer, it also applies to worship. See, we're worshiping long. All of a sudden, we were worshiping while ago, and all of a sudden, boom, we were in a dimension. We were just there. I, 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 I knew it because the atmosphere changed. Everything changed. Why? Not because God came, but because, watch, we stepped into a dimension. Now, let me, let me just go one more step further with that because it's going to help us. Romans 5, verse 2, it says that we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Notice, so I love this scripture. It says that we are standing somewhere in a, in a, in a place of grace... In a dimension of grace. Why? Because of what Jesus did. First of all, you need to know that when Jesus died on the cross, he repositioned us in the realm of the Spirit. We were repositioned. It's already, listen, it says we already stand there. Watch. But we have to access the place we're standing by faith. I love that. See, in other words, we're not trying to get somewhere we're already there. We need to simply learn how to function and access the place of the Spirit we're already in. Is this making you think differently? Okay, let me give you one more scripture. Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 24. We could spend all night on this one. It says there, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn that is registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. But watch, it says what? You have come. Here's what I tell the church. We have a problem. We keep trying to get places we have already come to. We're already there. So what do we do? We by faith know how to access it. See, if you, if you can just realize where we are, we're already in a spiritual dimension. We're in a natural realm, but we're also in a spiritual dimension. So I access it so that I can begin to function there. Because when I recognize the protocol... And the idea is concerning the spiritual dimension I'm in. I can begin to come in agreement. Because let me give you a definition for prayer. This, this might shock some of you. 
Because even though we might agree when I first say it, the truth is we think a different way. Here's, the, here's my point. Prayer is not trying to convince God to give you something. Prayer is stepping into a spiritual realm and agreeing with God so that heaven can come into earth. See, we're partnering with God in prayer. We're not trying to get him to give us something. God says, I need you as my representatives in the earth to step into these spiritual realms and begin to function with me so that things move in the realm of the spirit so what is in heaven can come into earth. That's what we're doing. That's what prayer is. See, prayer is not trying to convince God to do something for you. How, how laborious. How slave mentality. But we all think this way. No, no, I have been exalted to a position in the spirit realm. God says, now come into this realm that you and I are going to partner in. And in this realm that you're functioning in, things are going to move and shift. I'm going to show you how to do it. And all of a sudden now, what is in heaven can penetrate the earth realm. Now that exalts prayer to a much higher place than me even, well, especially to me begging God for something. Now watch, and thinking, well, if, if I pray enough, if I hold my mouth just right, or if I do it for long enough, no, 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 no. Listen, if we could just know where we are and begin to step into that place and, and access it by faith, we'd be amazed. Okay, having said all that, having said all that, when Jesus taught on prayer in the book of Luke, because this is one of the main places where we see Jesus teaching on prayer. Remember Luke 11, verse 1. It says that Jesus was in a certain place praying. And the disciples, when he was done, they didn't interrupt him. They said to him, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. Remember that? Teach us to pray. In other words, they were so moved by what they were seeing Jesus do. They were saying, Can, we want to know how to do that. We've never seen anybody. We know, we know how the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leader pray, but we've never seen anybody pray like that. Could you teach us how to do this? Okay, in response to that request, Jesus started a teaching in Luke 11 and finished it in Luke 18 on how to pray. And watch this. I'm going to tell you up front. Here's what he did. He put prayer in three dimensions. This is very important. He put prayer into three dimensions. He put prayer in these three dimensions. Approaching God as father, approaching God as friend, and then finally approaching God as judge. Those were the three dimensions that Jesus put prayer in. So in Luke 11, he gives them two of them. Approaching God as father and friend. Because he said in Luke chapter 11, verse 2. Okay, he says, when you pray, in response to their question. When you pray, say, our father which art in heaven. We all know that. We call it the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, whatever. And that's all correct. But watch. Jesus was saying, when you pray, the first thing you need to know is you've got to approach God as Father. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, each one of these realms in which we approach God, watch, it opens up a spiritual dimension. These dimensions I'm talking to you about stepping into, it opens up a, a spiritual dimension. Each way that Jesus taught the disciples to pray, it opens up a spiritual dimension. So watch. He said, when you pray, say our Father. Now, now you got to get this. You will never go any deeper in prayer than your revelation of the Father allows you to. None of us will ever go any deeper. That's why this is the first one. 
Because if you don't know God as Father, you're never going to be able to approach him as friend or as judge. You've got to first know him as Father. See, Romans 8, 15, Paul said he sends the Holy Spirit, the, the spirit of adoption into our heart, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. So in other words, he is our loving, endearing Father. Now let me just say this. Abba is a term of endearment. He loves us. He accepts us. He never rejects us. But Father is a term of authority. See, it's not like some people teach today. Oh, he's just Abba. You can do any old thing you want to. No, no, no. He's Abba. He loves us. He's accepting. He's forgiving. He's caring. He's tender. You can come and crawl up in his lap. But he's also Father. He's the one in authority. Now, I don't know about you, but I told you I had six children. Listen, I loved it when I could just be Abba. Just love them. Play with them. But there were times I'd come home and my wife would say, you better do something with these kids. So here was my classic response. Okay, here's the boundary, kids. Because look, I love you and I don't want to hurt you. But you need to understand something. If you cause her pain and she causes me pain, then you and I got a problem. So I am setting the boundaries. I am not just Abba, I'm also Father. And this is the protocol for our house and the way we're going to function. Does that make sense? Anybody ever had to do that with your children? I'm not talking about being mean. I'm just talking about setting boundaries. He's Abba, Father. Now why? We need to understand both aspects of his fatherhood or we start portraying an image to him that's not completely correct or and is even insufficient. Let me just say this. Every one of us has father issues. You may not think you do. You may have had a good, good Christian father, but that good Christian father at least was insufficient in his portrayal of who God is. So every one of us has father issues. Why? Because we initially portray upon God the image of a father that we were introduced to. So the Holy Spirit has to come and reveal him as Abba, Father to us so that we know how to approach him. Is that not right? I mean, we could spend all night and forever on that. See, watch, Abraham, what did God say to Abraham? Get away from your father's house. Why? Because God wanted to make him a father of nations. Here's the reason he had to separate him from his father's house. Because his father was an insufficient model of God as father. So he said, I'm going to have to separate you from the, from the model you have so I can re- re- reveal the right model of a father to you so that you can become the father of nations. Because you can never reach your destiny until I get the idea of what a father is correct in your heart. Listen, we spend our entire life seeing God as father. You never, listen, you never outgrow that. Now, having said all that, I said that when we approach God as Father, it opens up a spiritual dimension. What's that dimension? It's called the secret place. It's the secret place. See, the secret place is not a room in your house. A secret place is a spiritual dimension. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 6, that when you pray, go into your room, shut the door. And your Father who sees in secret, 
shall reward you openly. He's not talking about, listen, he's not talking about over here quiet so nobody hears your prayers. No, he's talking about stepping into a spiritual dimension that the psalmist in Psalms 91 said was the secret place. And in that dimension, when you learn how to function there and live there, you live under the divine protection and provision of God. In the secret place. It's a spiritual realm. And when you're in that place, nothing can touch you. doesn't matter what's going on. It says, though a pestilent walks at noonday, it won't touch you. Though a thousand fall at one side and ten thousand another, it won't come near you. Why? Because there's this divine shield that's around you. You're, because you're living and functioning in and from the secret place. I was with Bishop Joseph Garlington. And he said to me when he heard me teach this. He got up the next day. And he said these words. Clearly Robert is reading from a different Bible than the rest of us. <laughs> he said because he's seeing things we haven't seen. And then he said this. He said but do you know how to get into the secret place? And everybody was quiet. And he said, it's a secret. <laughs> See, what did he mean? It means we have to pay attention to the Holy Spirit that teaches us how to pray so we can step into this spiritual dimension called the secret place. But you go there because the Father, you're approaching Him as Father, and the Father who sees in secret, watch, you step into that secret place, you begin to move and operate in agreement with the Father, and all of a sudden, something from the spiritual realm called the secret place manifests in the earth because it says that we will be in the secret place and He will manifest or show and answer prayers for us in the natural realm. Not because we're manipula manipulating things in the natural realm, but because we're touching things in the secret place. It's a place of intimacy. It's a place of, of brokenness. It's a place that you just move into and you also realize, I'm in the secret place. Okay, what do I do when I'm in? Okay, Holy Spirit, help me. Teach me how to pray. Teach me how to move. Teach me the protocols of this spiritual dimension. Is this making sense to you? This is important. We're going to get to the court of heaven. But if I just get to the court of heaven, you're not going to understand this whole issue here of, of spiritual dimension. So, we could, again, we could spend all night on this. Okay, but secondly, Jesus continued because they asked him to teach him to pray. He said, watch, he says, when you say, when you pray, say our Father. And then he says this. And he said, and which of you, Luke 11, 5 through 8, and which of you having a friend? And all of a sudden, Jesus shifts gears. Which of you having a friend? See, all of a sudden now he's talking about approaching God as a friend. And, and, and watch this, what he says. He said, which of you having a friend that would come to him at midnight? Or would come to him on a journey? And you don't have any resources to help him with. He said, you would get up and you would go to another friend who does have resources. And you would say to this other friend, please get up and get out of bed and give me what I need to help this other friend. He says, though he won't get up and give you what you're asking him, he, because you're a friend, he will get up and give you as much as you're asking. Watch this. So you'll leave him alone and he can go back to bed. That's the essence of it. Okay, but, but he talked about approaching God now as a friend. Now, let me just point this out real quickly. When we approach God as Father, primarily it's about our own stuff. I mean, I don't have time to develop all this, but watch. What's the picture Jesus is preaching or teaching about approaching God as friend? Here's a friend who comes to us. And we can't help him, so we go to our other friend. Watch, we're a friend standing between two friends. 
We're in the middle. In other words, you're in a place of intercession. So you need to understand, primarily when we approach God as Father, it's about Him meeting our needs, our desires, our wants. When we approach Him as friend, get this, it is about approaching Him in behalf of another one that our friend's needs might be met. That's the picture here. Now we see this, watch. Abraham was called the friend of God, as was Moses and others. But Abraham, in Genesis 18, he's the friend of God. So watch, God says to Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Not, I, not I'm you know, maybe I'm going to have to. He said, I'm going to do it. I've judged it. I've, I've seen it. There's only one, only one resulting thing. I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to show you something real quickly. It says that when he says this, that I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that Abraham says, but Lord, will not the judge of all the earth, will he not do right? Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And he says, if there's 50 righteous in the city, would you spare it for 50? And we know the story, how the, God said he would, all the way down to 10. Now, I have heard all my life that Abraham stopped too soon, but they don't understand what they're saying. You see, 10, for instance, in the Jewish culture, in every synagogue, there was something called the Beit Din, the house of government. There were three chief justices with seven lesser justices, and when those 10 rendered a verdict, legislated a law, whatever, it became the law of the land. So what Abraham is saying, if there is that which would represent you as a government in Sodom and Gomorrah, if there is that which heaven could recognize as a government, will you spare it for them? And God said, I will. And this is very powerful. Because you need to understand. God said, ten, a government, would be able to secure mercy from heaven for a whole population that did not deserve it. Guess what the church is? The ecclesia, the ecclesia. We are a government. See, the ecclesia that said in the city gates, when Jesus said, upon this church, a rock I will build my ecclesia, he was speaking of a government that determined what life looked like in a city. So here's what he says. He says, look, if there's a, is there, if there's a government within a culture, let me give you this, you gotta get it. In other words, if there is an ecclesia from within the culture, that can represent that culture before God, God said that they can secure from me mercy that culture doesn't deserve. That's so very powerful. Now this is operating as the friend, because Abraham's the friend of God. Now here was my question. Why could not Abraham, just as the friend, why could he not secure that for Solomon and Gomorrah? Here's the reason. He wasn't a part of that culture. He wasn't a citizen of Sodom and Gomorrah. Therefore, he could not stand in behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. He had to petition the Lord that if there was ten righteous, if there was an ecclesia, if there was a government within that culture that could stand before the Lord and represent it before the Lord, that that culture or that ecclesia within that culture could secure mercies from heaven upon a culture that did not deserve it. What does that mean? That means we as a church have more power in our nations than we realize. That God will do for us what he would never do for a sinful and rebellious culture. That we can secure it and are to secure 
we are to secure mercies over our nations. As the friends of God, we, we get things in place so this can happen. So watch, what, what dimension do we step into as the friend of God? It's called the counsel of the Lord. The counsel of the Lord. And we'll get to the courts here, but it's called the counsel of the Lord. See, Jeremiah 23, 18. Who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? Who has heard his word? Who has, who has marked his word? And so Jeremiah talks about standing in the counsel. Okay, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I now call you friends. For everything the Father has shown me, I'm telling you. Why? Because watch, Abraham was told a secret that nobody else knew. God's going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, if God was to tell me that kind of a secret, I am going to the nearest television station. And I am going to prophesy it. So that when it happens, Robert Henderson is known around the world. Now, don't tell me you don't think that way sometimes. Uh, that's not the right way to think, but we do. Watch. But watch. Abraham didn't do that. Why? Because he understood the secret he was being shown was not so he could prophesy it, but so he could pray from it. You see, most of us don't have a platform to prophesy it. But we all have a platform in the spirit realm called the counsel of the Lord. That we can step into that place. Now you say, what happens when the counsel? Well, two main things. Number one, God and Abraham together made decisions about Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a place in the council as his friends that we and God together can make decisions about even nations. Watch this. But you need to understand. Elijah, that scripture in 1 Kings 17, the Lord before whom I stand, Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Elijah was, the mention Elijah was standing in, it was the council. So from that council, he made a decree. You see, from the council, as his friend, we can stand, we know secrets from God. We can stand and begin to decree them into place and watch the natural realm line up with the intent of God. From the council, you have to know how to step into this spiritual realm. Okay, getting to the third one now. So Jesus, in Luke 11, teaches them these two dimensions. And it's like he leaves them to practice these dimensions. And seven chapters later, he brings it back up. It says that Jesus spoke a parable that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. Now watch, was Jesus being a cheerleader? Come on, rah, rah, guys, don't quit. No. He said, here's what he was saying. Look, the reason people quit praying, only one reason, only one, it's not working. That's the only reason people quit. If it's working, if you're getting results, man, you're going to keep doing it. But if you're praying prayers that seem not to be working, and I tell you, it gets hard sometimes. I mean, there's times where I, I just have wanted to quit because it didn't seem like it was working. But it's kind of like I didn't have any other thing, any other issue to go to. So the only reason people quit praying is because it's not working. So here's what I believe Jesus was saying. Look, I know you guys have been functioning as coming before Father, coming before friend. I know that. But watch. I also know that you've had answers, that you've gotten answers. But I also know that there's things that you pray that you haven't got answers for. 
So what I'm about to do is I'm going, um, watch, I'm about to reveal to you the secret to getting answers to unanswered prayers in this third dimension. That don't give up, come on, here's a mystery unveiled. Here's a mystery unveiled that you need to understand. Which is, watch, approaching God as judge. Because in Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, Jesus tells this story about a woman who come before, a widow who comes before an unjust judge who will, who, and she says, avenge me of my adversary, get justice for me. But he won't. Why? Because he's an unjust judge. He only renders verdicts, not because it's the right thing to do, but for what he can get out of it. And this, she's a widow. She has nothing to bribe him with. So what does she keep doing? She just keeps coming before that judicial system, before this judge's courts, because judges rule over court systems. So she keeps coming to this judge, doing what? Consistently presenting her case. Finally, this unjust judge said, look, I am so sick of seeing this woman in my court. I am going to give her what she wants. Lest by her continual coming, she wears me out. And Jesus said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night? Yes, I say, he will avenge them speedily. So what? Watch, watch what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, clearly, God is an unjust judge you have to convince. No, he's saying if this widow could get a verdict from an unjust judge, how much more can we come before God the righteous judge, the judge of all the earth, and see him render verdicts in our behalf as his elect? That's the whole message there. So what's Jesus saying? Come before God in this third dimension as judge. Well, what do judges do? They rule over judicial systems. Daniel 7, Daniel had a vision of a court system in heaven. He saw the court seated. Watch. The books open that we'll get to tomorrow. The books open, watch. And God rendering a verdict against, in Daniel 7, 26, against the, the Antichrist spirit and causing that spirit to be destroyed because the verdict came out of the court of heaven that the Bible says we have access into. In this third dimension of prayer. So watch, if you're not getting answers, and let me just say this to you. If you've been praying prayers for a long period of time, that are in agreement with God's word. But there's been no answer. And maybe things have even gotten worse. You ready? Something legal is resisting you in the spirit world. It's that simple. You're not trying to convince the father. You're not trying to convince the friend. There's something legal. Why do I know that? Because watch. This woman said, avenge me of my adversary. That is the Greek word, antidikos. And it means one who brings a lawsuit. One who brings a lawsuit. An opponent in a legal system. So she's contending against someone who's bringing a lawsuit. Okay, go over to 1 Peter 5.8. You ready for this? 1 Peter 5.8. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, be on guard for your adversary. Same word, antidikos, the one who is bringing a lawsuit. The antidikos, the devil... He's walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So watch. The devil is looking for a legal right to devour you. 
to deny you your destiny. Because what's the word antidecos comes from two words. Anti, which means instead of or even to deny. And decos, which means rights. So the purpose of his lawsuit is to deny you what rightfully belongs to you by virtue of what Jesus died for. This is the reason we're not getting the full benefits of his death. There's a case against you in the spirit world that is giving the enemy the legal right to stop the passion of God from happening in your life. Now, see, some, some people hear me teach this, and they come to me and say, you poor, simple man. And they want to pat, pat me on my little pointed head. And they want to say to me, don't you understand that when Jesus died on the cross, that the devil's legal rights were removed? And I said, and, and that he finished works. And I said, yes. I said, I believe when he said in John 19, 30, it is finished. He was saying every legal mandate has now been met. But if it's not executed into place, it has no power. A verdict has to be executed into place. So watch. So see, they, they want to come at me with this. I said, well, some, watch. Somebody should have told Apostle Peter. Because Apostle Peter clearly, clearly understood that he still had a legal opponent called the Antidikos, the adversary, that was building cases against him and others to devour. This is after the cross. This is a great apostle. This is what he's telling us. You need to know. You better be on guard. You better not stick your head in the sand and be ignorant of the devil's devices because if you are and you accept some theory that somebody's espousing literally your your life can be devoured and you can fall short of the destiny God made you for because the enemy has a legal case against us so listen if there's a legal case you can't remove it coming before God as father in that dimension you can't remove it coming before him as friend in that dimension you have to come before him as judge and step into the courts of heaven and undo that case Amen? So I want to tell all of you, all the guys watching online, listen, all the guys in the overflow rooms, God has an answer to the prayers that have not been answered. And listen, I am a living testimony. I'm going to give you two, two quick testimonies, okay, and then we'll be done for tonight. Then we'll move more into the how-tos tomorrow. Because this applies not only to individuals and families, it, 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 it applies to nations, because do you know why powers of darkness are still ruling nations? They still have a legal right to. Because watch, the ecclesia, the government of God, has not come before the courts of heaven and taken the blood of Jesus and removed those legal rights. And let me just say this to you. Revelation 19, verse 11. When Jesus comes back on the white horse from heaven, he come, with the armies of heaven, he comes forth to do two things. Judge, which is judicial activities, and make war. You never run to the battlefield until you've first been to the courtroom. If you, listen, if you try to attack demon powers before you have removed their legal right, you're going to get backlashed. You're going to get devoured. Why? Because you haven't removed their legal right of operation. You have to take the blood of Jesus as the ecclesia. And you have to stand in the courts and renounce, revoke, and remove the legal rights of the enemy. Then you can run to the battlefield and win every time. It's absolutely essential. So let me give you my two testimonies real quick. Okay, the first one. I, it was someplace in Africa. I was coming, invited to preach. I'd never heard of any of this. I come to this ministry, 
They want me to preach in a conference. going to be several nations from Africa there. Nothing as big as this by any means. And so they say to me, we want to cleanse your bloodline before you stand up on this platform and preach. And me being in ignorance, I said, what's wrong with my bloodline? I'm from America. What's wrong with my bloodline? And they said, no, 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 you don't understand. When you stand on my, our platform and you begin to address the nations of Africa, you are going to be challenging principalities and powers from those nations. And if there is any legal right in you, they're coming after you and your family. And when they said that to me, I said, please, cleanse my bloodline. I said, this is what I was thinking. I've got enough trouble with demons in America. I don't need African demons after me too. So please cleanse my bloodline. So they take me into this room and they have me pray this prayer. Lord, I lay down my life all the way back to Adam and Eve. So people say, well, you don't have to do that. It's three or four generations. And here's what I say. I say, well, maybe so, but here's what I know. When I said that, I was just simply saying to God, God, I'm holding nothing back. If there's anything in me or my bloodline that's a legal issue the enemy can use, I'm just wanted exposed. So we're praying. There's this seer gift. I know this is, sounds creepy to some, but there's this seer gift. And this lady says, I see. Now, you've got to understand, we were being devoured in America. I mean, our life, we had never been through anything. I couldn't get it stopped. We were, money was lost. Children were a mess. Everything, everything, you name it, it was a mess. It was bad. I, I tell people, I would compare my horror story with anybody else's. Mine's just as bad or worse than yours. And so... They said, you know, pray this prayer. So I'm praying this, but Lord, I lay my life down all the way through my mother or my father, Wilton Wilmer Henderson, my mother, Mary Louise Davis Henderson, all the way back to Adam and Eve. And when I'm praying this, this seer gift says, I see in Robert's bloodline that someone in his bloodline made a covenant with a demon god named Parax. I had never heard of such. And, and even the people in the room said, do what? And they said, they said spell it. They spelled it P-A-R-A-X. They Googled it. Perhaps. Guess what came up? A demon god whose chief characteristic is to devour. And so, and to suck dry. So I said, Lord, I repent of any covenant in my bloodline where some kind of a covenant, a commitment was made to this demon god named Perax. I repent of that. Why? Because the Bible says we repent of our sins and the sins of our forefathers. Why? Because the sin of the forefathers is what gave the enemy the legal right to take Israel captive in the first place. So they had to go back and deal with a legal issue before Israel could come out of captivity and go back to their land. So I, that's what I was doing. I was dealing with any sin and this thing of covenant with Perak. So I repented of that. And I just asked for it. I renounced it. All these sorts of things. Okay, I'm just making a very long short story short. Here's what happened. I felt something move in the spirit. From that, I'm telling you, from that point on, all the devouring that was going on in our life instantly stopped. And a process of restoration began to come into us. And I began to understand things that I'd never understood before. That is still going on to this day. And again, I'm shortening things for the sake of time. Number two, second, second testimony. I have a son named Adam. We have, as I said, six children. Adam, from the day he was born, the day he was born, the Lord said to me, How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of those that bring good news. And I knew that he was destined to function in ministry, to even be an evangelist or whatever because of, of the beautiful shoes upon his feet. 
And so, so that, that, that word came to me on day he was born. We, we took him to the church the next day for our pastor, Brother Walker, to dedicate him. And Brother Walker lifted him up, never told him anything. And this is the first words out of his mouth. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of those that bring you news. So I went to him. I said, why did you say that over him? And he said, because that's what God says about him. And that was true. I watched Adam grow. I watched his passion for God. So he gets, he gets grown. He goes to Bible school, all these kind of things. He becomes my youth pastor. But as I transitioned out of the apostolic center I was leaving, leading, I just felt it would be good for him to get under somebody else's tutelage and, and, and oversight and just develop even more. So I got him positioned in another ministry that he became the youth pastor on a fairly large church and was very successful. He had married this girl from the city that we, we were from. Watch this. But while they were there, things kind of started getting messed up, and she wanted to go back to where they were from, to Texas, where we were from. Long story short, Adam tried, went back because of her desire. They ended up divorcing. I mean, just terrible. It wasn't what he wanted. He wept many tears. But this, this plunged Adam into absolute depression. Now, I, as his dad, understood, because he said, God's still with me. God can never use me. And I said, no, Adam, that's not true. God, God's a redeemer. We don't believe that. We, we believe that God, and, and this, this was beyond your control in many, many senses of the word. And so, anyway, we, we went through all that. But nothing would get him out of depression. For two years, two years he was in depression. I tried everything I knew to encourage him, to challenge him. In prayer, I'm binding. I'm loosing. I'm opening. I'm shutting. You name it. I'm, if I, I think I'd have probably even tried to blow the shofar, even though I don't do that stuff. If I'd have thought it would have done any good. Nothing worked. It just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I didn't know what to do. And I remember after two years of things spiraling downward, I went to prayer again one morning. And the Lord said to me, the moment I began to pray for Adam, again, same as I'd done for two years, the Lord said to me, Instantly, I heard him say, bring him to my courts. Now, I didn't even know if I knew how to do this, but I began to see it. So I said, Lord, I bring Adam before your courts. And I knew enough to know now that, that if there was sin involved, the enemy would use that as a legal case. So I began to repent in behalf of Adam. But you say, why would you, how can you do that? Because even 1 John 5 says, if you see someone sinning a, de a sin not unto death, you will ask of him, and God will give them life for death. Because you are standing in their behalf. That's, that's the privilege we have in prayer. So I said, Lord, I'm coming before you in behalf of Adam. And I began to repent. Any place he had failed as a father, as a husband, any lying down under depression, any believing of lies, it took about five minutes, and I felt this major thing shift. Then, I, then the Lord spoke to me. Now God takes over. And here's what he said. He said, now you repent. Me. And I thought, what, what have I done? <laughs> and he says, you repent because you in your frustration have said negative critical things about Adam to his mother. Never to Adam, but to his mother. I had said something. I don't understand why he made this choice, that choice. I don't understand this. Da, 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 da. And the Lord said to me, the enemy has taken your words before my courts and has said, even his father says this about him. And I suddenly realized that when negative things are spoken by someone in authority, the, especially the enemy grabs those words and uses them in the courts of heaven against us. So now I'm weeping. 
And I'm repenting for me. And I'm asking that every word I spoke, that the blood would speak in my behalf and would cause those words to be stricken from the records of heaven so that Adam, so that the enemy could not use these against Adam. That took again about five minutes. No big, long time. And then as soon as I was through, God said to me, now prophesy Adam's destiny. Now you've got to understand what I didn't know I'd just done. I had just removed the legal right of the enemy. Now I'm about to present a case before God in behalf of Adam concerning, based on the prophetic word over his life. I'll get more into this tomorrow. And so I began to prophesy, Lord, you said over Adam, how beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of those that bring good news. And I began to prophesy. And then God began to quicken other things. And I began to prophesy. And suddenly as I'm doing this, this anointing came. And I felt this story. And God said, now rebuke the spirit of depression. Because see, I had removed the legal right. I had presented the case. Now I could stand in the authority of God. And I said, you spirit of depression, I command you. You let my son go now in Jesus' name. And I felt this major shift occur. So I get up and I'm thinking, man, I, don't, I believe something happened. This, that was so powerful. It took me about 15 minutes. A week and a half later, my phone starts ringing. And I look and it says, Adam. And, and I answer it. I say, hey, Adam. And he said, hey, Dad, can I talk to you for a minute? And he said these words. He said, Dad, I don't know what happened. But a week and a half ago, all the depression left me. And I am ready to do God's will. He now pastors his own church, oversees four or five other churches. The, 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 the group he is in recognizes who he is, and he is having tremendous success. He is remarried. All sorts of things are going his way. So tremendous favor of God is upon him. But he will tell you, the reason he is doing what he is doing today was because his dad went into the courts of heaven and broke the spirit of depression that was wanting to destroy and take away his destiny and purpose. And ever since then, I've been functioning in the courts of heaven. And listen, God wants to do it for you. And he wants to do it for all those in the, that are in the overflow room. And he wants to do it for all you that are watching by live streaming. Listen, there's answers to your unanswered prayers. God wants to rebuke the devourer from operating against you and everything that concerns you. If you want that, would you stand up with me right now? Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to lead you in a very simple prayer. We're going to go much deeper tomorrow. But remember, the court of heaven is not a formula. What is it? It's a dimension of the spirit that we step into. So I'm going to lead you in a real simple prayer. Just I'll lead you in a real simple prayer. Say this. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that by your blood I am repositioned in the realm of the spirit. I have a right and have access by faith into this realm of grace that I stand, which is the court of heaven. I take my place before you right now. And Lord, my purpose, the purpose of my family, the purpose of Zimbabwe, the purpose of the nation I represent, Lord, I'm asking before your courts, that out of the books of heaven, concerning all of those, that those purposes would be fulfilled. I am asking before you that your passion 
as father, friend, and judge would be seen in my life, in my family, and even in my nation. Lord, I thank you that as I stand before you, that we present from the books of heaven the purpose and the destiny of these things. Lord, I repent before you for any accusation the enemy would have that would deny me the right to present these things and would say that I have no right to stand here. And I would remind this court, I would remind this court that it is my right, even as the servant of the Lord, even as a child of the Most High God, to stand in this place. For the blood of Jesus has given me the right to stand here. So I'm asking you right now that your blood would speak for me, that everything would be set into divine order, and that which I need the most, that it would begin to be reality in my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray for all of these in this room, all of those by live streaming, all of those in the overflow rooms, Lord, I thank you that right now cases are being heard in the courts of heaven. See, even as we just prayed, brother, you just presented a case. Now, you got to understand, there's an accuser that will come to resist that from becoming reality. We're going to deal more tomorrow with how to, how to stop that. But, Lord, cases are now being heard in the court of heaven in behalf of these people, but also, Lord, as, as a representation of nations, cases concerning nations are being heard. And I want to ask, as one that's been invited here, that your passion over individuals and families and even over nations would be fulfilled. Lord, I say right now, even as we have come, I say the blood of Jesus now surrounds and covers I say the enemy is not able to come against or backlash against any of us. I say even as we're going to leave these cases present before you, I say, Lord, right now the blood of Jesus is speaking and no evil thing can come against anyone in this room by live streaming or by the overflow rooms. I say that the purposes of God are surrounding and you are being kept. I say right now, Lord, let the cases that are being presented, let them now speak. Let them now speak before your courts, even now tonight. Let them now speak. And Lord, even as we come back tomorrow and begin to deal with the other issues, Lord, that everything I say will be moved into place and there will be a breakthrough, Lord, a breakthrough on monu monumental uh, dimensions and portions that shall begin to occur. And I even say that that which has been denied in prayer will now begin to be answered. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a big praise. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.